and we're live thank you all so much for joining us today wow i haven't done i can't even remember the last time i did a, a live stream with a guest i think james you might be like uh you may have broken like a like a dry streak here i've had <laughs> of guests on the channel so i'm super honored to have you james is from invest answers he has a youtube uh channel that uh is uh i believe 450,000 subscribers right around that uh that area right something pretty, like that yeah it's pretty sizable but it's been yeah. very stagnant because uh, I actually pay for a service to keep scammers out uh, all the nice. time. So awesome. it's, it's been flat for probably six to eight months. But uh, Okay. Okay, but that's okay too. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where uh, where James has a, has a channel here, offers great insight into investing. Somebody who covers um, uh, Tesla quite extensively and other uh, innovative companies as well. But James is somebody that I actually got hooked up with through Twitter. I was on his channel, uh, I believe, a couple of weeks ago, James. If it wasn't yeah, last week, it'll the week be before. The live section. Hit the live button uh, on videos. Yeah, and that'll be us somewhere uh, down see, a little lower. Down a little bit more. Uh, there, there we, we are on the right Cosmic disruption i love it and i love how you made it black and white too you're making me look all classy on the thumbnail <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't consider myself a classy person but i really appreciate you for making the time man james you're somebody that i really enjoyed our conversation truly it was uh, almost two hours and that you describe it as you know two two friends getting together and uh, having a beer and that's exactly how it felt so i'm honored that you uh came on my channel maybe for for my crew that might not be familiar with your work uh give us an introduction and uh, we'll see where the conversation goes yeah um you know, the history behind the channel, because it just started about two years ago, was uh, I know you're about a year into it yourself. Um, I retired uh, kind of a few months after COVID, decided, you know, screw this and kind of downsized. And I made a video to try bring my network into a certain asymmetric asset, not unlike Tesla. And uh, I posted a video on YouTube and it went viral and the rest is history. So I felt there was a hunger for people to kind of educate and show them the way because if you are you know on a fixed salary with a fixed income with a lot of expenses it's very hard for people to find their way out and that's why i kind of put this together and i'm by no means perfect but i've been able to build and rebuild a few times and make great things happen so i believe uh, i've got i've got some things to share with audiences i'm also very analytical i've got an mba in finance from wharton business school I've worked in financial services for a very long time and I love models. And that's what brought me to your channel is kind of you're a math guy and a model guy. And I was like, wow, <laughs> it's like, like we got separated at birth somehow. Anyway, <laughs> the rest is history. So that's it. Here we are. Awesome, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for that, for that, uh, for that intro. Yeah, man, I, I really, the thing that I was very um, impressed by is when I was on your channel, it seems like you're, you're somebody who, if we start with the Tesla topic, because I know that's probably, you know, part of the reason why folks uh, are watching this from my end, and I'm sure from your end as well. But uh, you're somebody who seems to really understand Tesla's long term, uh, long term implications from not just the car business from a, but from a bunch of different angles as well. Uh, what are the things that you're you're really studying today? Like, if there's something that you're really, and I'm sure there's like a thousand of them, right? Like, we were literally just talking before we went live. Like, you could focus on the supercharger or whatever. But what is what are the things that are really, let's say, tickling your brain right now as it pertains to Tesla, and how are you thinking about its uh, long-term potentials? We'll start there and see where it goes. Well, it's funny. I, I was I got lucky a few times in the in the '90s by doing heavy due diligence upfront in things that I believed were the future. Um, like way back in the day, 
obviously in the 90s, we all know what happened. It was the beginning of the revolution and then things like search came about and a lot of other things. But when I discovered Tesla, it was 2017 approximately. Um, it's actually the same, coincidentally, the same year I bought my first Bitcoin. So it was the same year I bought my first Tesla. And 2017 then I, was a good year. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good, but it was... It was hard to understand. And the, the beauty I had of looking at Tesla was I was tracking Elon Musk during his entire life. And I always try and find, you know, who is the smartest guy on the planet, who are the top developers on the planet, etc., and follow what they do. And that was a trick I saw again back in the 90s. Follow the smart people, follow the smart money, um, etc. When, when I start digging into you know, I knew what he had achieved in the past, but when I started digging into what he's doing with Tesla, and there was a very bumpy time in 2017, 2018, 2019, he even said this himself this, this morning that he wasn't sure he was going to make it. But uh, if he did pull it off, there's no better person to do that. And I was also a little bit scarred by a situation. I lived in a, a neighborhood where a mother um, was taking her baby in a baby seat in the back of a car to school. And she was in a garage, and this is in, happened in California. Nobody, nobody got hurt or died, so don't be too afraid. But uh, what made, made me amazed by electric vehicles was she actually ran into the house because she forgot her purse or something. When she was in the house, the phone rang. She answered the phone. I forgot, but the car was running in the garage oh, wow. with the door closed. Like literally, if she wasn't out of there in three minutes or four minutes, it could have ended very badly. So. You know, she lived across the road, heard the story, and I was like, wow, this is scary. And then when you see how much, you know, gas vehicles, I used to drive an M6, BMW, um, how much they spit out, how much they burn, uh, it, it just became very crazy. And then uh, it was 2019, over four years ago, four and a half years ago, I bought my first Tesla, a Tesla X, and I've just, it was mind blown. Like I bought it. And then when I get into the car and I started understanding, Wow, they have unthunk the car, as I say, kind of it's probably not even proper English, but everything was different. You know, no handbrake was the first big moment and everything just happened automatically. I said, this is incredible. Within a week of buying that car, I bought a truckload of call options. That's it. So the idea, I think, is, you know, identify huge disruption early. I always say get in early, get in hard. And that's been my focus in my entire life. And that's why. I want to share things I see. But when you, again, it's a long way to answer to your question, but when you look at Tesla, I mean, it has so much technology, so many moats, so many products. The world is so ripe for disruption. And at the same time, you've got four S-curves colliding at the same time. So it's just, it, it is just, I always say the future is bright and it's an exciting time to be alive. I'm sure you see all nice. the same things. I do. Yeah, I do. It's It's been fascinating to watch how the, the Tesla story has sort of evolved over time. Uh, back in, you know, if, if I think, think back to 2017, I mean, really, the, the thing that was a primary focus for the story was the electric car business. And then there was uh, some noise around uh, self-driving because Tesla would have just released their autopilot suite like a year before or two years before around that time. So really, it was thought of as electric car maker, right? A nice car, niche Californians are going to love it. You know, it's going to be this cool thing. And now you fast forward to what, six years, seven years, still the same company, but then yeah. you have the electric car, 
you have the battery storage, you have full self-driving, you have the bot. You know, you talked about right before we went live, the supercharger network news about how, again, they're saying they're going to open it. They've said this before, so hopefully they do it this time. You got insurance. So there's all these multifaceted things that are happening that that are part of those S-curves that you described. And what goes through my mind is, you know, if I'm thinking about it from an investing perspective, I wonder how much, like, when will those things be recognized by the broader market for for the potential that they have? Like, like yeah. a thing like energy, as an example, right? If I'm going to riff on energy for a little bit, energy, the battery uh, business is going to be, it's going to be able to scale off of the the, uh, the electric vehicles back, meaning that they're going to be using the same materials, right? They're going to be using the batteries to ramp the car. The energy side is just going to. Uh, basically plug into the supply chain for the electric car and they're just going to draw the batteries out of that supply chain they're going to put a casing on it call it a closet boom and then it becomes an energy it becomes a mega pack right yeah. and it doesn't seem like anybody has has recognized that at all and it seems like it really is a a, a huge potential for the for the business long term how do you think about that side of the business that's <laughs> funny the reason we connected was uh you retweeted something with Gary Black and it was yeah. back in December of 2022, all those months ago. Yeah. And uh, and I said, you know, I responded to both of you. And I said, Gary, you're missing a huge opportunity here. You, you don't have mega packing your numbers. And I kicked him at Google. God knows if he saw it or not with my projections. But that that's how uh, we got connected. But yeah, and Gary is one of the shrewd ones. But then, you know, you turn on things like CNBC and you listen to the analysts on TV. And I, sometimes I just want to cry. Like they're just, <laughs> they're so, there's no other, there's no kind word for it, but they're leading people down a dark path and astray. There was two guys on talking about Tesla and shorting Bitcoin. And you got brilliant people like Bill Miller that I've known of for nearly 30 years and him and his son get together. Let's short Tesla at 106. It's like, oh, and I tweeted it immediately. I said, somebody please check on Bill Miller. <laughs> He's just going down the wrong path. So you're, you're dead right. People. I, I, I don't know what it is. I have this theory. I saw many years ago a movie called Idiocracy of how oh, sure. humans are getting stupider and stupider over time. And we see that every day. You see it in government officials and all across the world. But, you know, traditional Wall Street analysts now, they're stuck in this either echo chamber or inability to look outside of the box or really understand what disruption is. And that, I think, is the blind spot that these analysts have. They can't wrap their heads around disruption and asymmetric mm -hmm. bets. And so many people, the top analysts, still call Tesla a car company. And when the stuff we're going to talk about today, you'll see it is clearly not a car company. So, again, yeah, it's strange. It is. It is interesting because I remember I, you and I were talking about this too. I think at your, at your podcast, like why why is it so hard for Wall Street, like the Wall Street types, to to try to jump on this, say what seems like a potentially obvious outcome, you know, if say, you know, it's, as long as we're correct, like let's, let's nobody assume that we're correct. Do your own diligence. You know, this is obviously not financial advice. This is just two Tesla bulls talking <laughs> about Tesla. So of course you're going to get favorable language. So please, please, please make sure you do your own research. Use this as a data point and that's it. Right. But it does seem like it's, it, it's, um, if Tesla has a track record of success and they have this supply chain built out already for the electric vehicle, the, let's say the energy part of it should be easy enough to build and there's nobody else doing it. And I do wonder if Wall Street's hesitancy to really, it's almost like the Tesla story played out already. 
right? Like the Tesla story went from 2012, it's not going to exist, to 2023, which is not just the largest uh, pure EV uh, car company in the world, but it's also one that has incredible ambitions into the future. And it's been recognized by the market. So this story has already played out in the short term. But Wall Street and like the, the, the folks that are in that part of the world are still like, well, you know, energy, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, you know, full self-driving, I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, you know, uh, whatever else, I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, you know, compact car, I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, you know, competition, I don't know if it's... It's like, guys, did we not just see the story play? <laughs> and the same guys are there, like the same guys and girls that were at the company that made this happen. By and large, they're there. The culture is there. The leader is there. But now they have more money to make uh, their stuff happen. So, so why, why isn't that a valid data point for them to draw from and say, okay, there's a likely, there's a higher likelihood chance of this happening, and thus I'm going to model energy for it? Or is it really a, a, a cause of safety and saying I really need to see it happen first? And it's just human nature, you know? It's like I wonder how much of that also plays into this. It's just human nature. Yeah, it's weird. Well, talk about two things you mentioned, competition and Wall Street and stuff. But Wall Street should be, you know, building models around discounted cash flow. And they obviously don't because, you know, you just look <laughs> at the progression of EBITDA. I know that Tom Nash, I think, was on your show yeah, yeah, yeah. a while back. And he's a big DCF guy. I'm a big DCF guy. Um, why don't they just plug the numbers into a model? There is the price target, you know, what, 350, 400, easy. Um, but they don't get it. And people continue to doubt Elon Musk. And he's got the most brilliant track record of, you know, creating new ideas since Albert Einstein, in my opinion, or even the original uh, Mr. Tesla. So it, it's just very, very strange. But when you talk about the competition as well, I think the competition have a kind of a different problem. One is they don't really control what they do or see what they do because it's always been about taking an existing, like take an analog being a bank running systems off of a COBOL platform that are 50 years old. It's all about patching the existing system over 50 years. You got this big mess and that's kind of like what a traditional car company is. It's a huge mess. They can't step away and analyze the problem. And the other thing that I learned a long time ago, probably 30, 35 years ago, was how to solve a problem. It's kind of my Neanderthal way of describing first principles is I always imagine myself as an alien in a satellite above the earth, looking down at what humans are doing or what the problem looks like. And how would I solve that problem without any legacy thinking or baggage? And I think that's what the car industry fails to do. And that's why they're so stuck in their ways. Yeah. I, what's curious too, I think there was a, and I don't know if producer wife can find this, but there was a comment from Jim Farley, the, the, the Ford CEO, that sort of like walked, kind of loosely talked along these lines. And this is a person that's in the, in the sort of legacy business. I think he said today or yesterday that the, that the EV industry really needs to figure out how to cut cost of EVs for them to be actually be affordable so they can make money on it. And I feel like that's sort of loosely related to what you just talked about, because here's an individual that's closely tied into that, but it's trying to, it's actually, you know, give Jim Farley a ton of credit. He's trying to step outside and be like, yo, like, if we don't do this, it's going to be an issue because that's where we're going. Uh, this might be a tough one for uh, producer wife to find, but that's, that's sort of like one of the hopes I have for the competition is that you're starting to see these uh, players notice you know, Jim Farley at Ford. Hey, 
we need to transition to EVs, otherwise we're not going to survive. We'll be profitable by 2026, but we're separating out our businesses publicly with Ford Blue and Ford Model E. We're going to report them every single quarter. You're going to see how much money we're making in one, how much money we're not making on the other. Toyota uh, is changing their leadership to try and uh, you know be more modern with I would argue not somebody that's uh, is not innovative enough to do it, but at least they're making change. So you're seeing this happen. The question becomes, is it too little, too late? And what are the long-term implications for uh, a legacy car business that's you know, 60, 70, 80 million cars per year right now that could collapse? That could yeah. collapse if they're late because they have so much baggage they have to carry forward, like we talked about you know, for the last 100 years. And what is that yeah. going to mean for the economy? You know, well, it's, it's funny. I remember as a child um, watching some change. I grew up in the 70s and I remember there was a lot of legacy manufacturers in Europe at the time. And then all of a sudden you got your Nissans and your Datsuns, whatever they were called back then, hitting the market. And everybody's buying these cars and people say, what the hell is that? Mm. Fast forward 20 years later, 25 years later, you got the Koreans outwitting the Japanese in the car manufacturing process. And then fast forward again to today, it's just everything kind of happens in these disruptive cycles. People just get better and better at making the product. But this is a radical, radical change uh, moving to the whole away from ICE to EV. So it's super exciting. But at the same time as well, the most important thing to look at is how, you know, uh, the, the, big, the big picture that I think is a simple one. And I don't know if it was... I think it was part of Elon's original grand vision. You know, to take energy from the fusion reactor in the sky, the sun, mm -hmm. your solar panel on the roof of your house, have your storage battery in your house, and then charge your car from that. And that's, you become your own utility. And I think Shamath Palapataya talks about that a lot too. And that's what people don't see. And it's here. It's just they can't make the stuff fast enough. So, yeah. again, exciting. <laughs> So. Have you tried? Have you tried talking? Do you, how often do you speak to Tesla bears? Is that something that you do often? I don't. Like how? Know. How? Okay. Because that's one thing. Like I'm trying to. There's one Tesla bear that I, or I wouldn't even call him a, a bear. At, really, I would call him a a complete. Uh, his name is Drew Dixon on Twitter. He's like he's not pro Tesla. He's not anti Tesla. He's not pro Elon. He's not anti Elon. He's just. Uh, I I give him credit for being truly neutral like truly neutral, which is pretty impressive. So shout out to Drew Dixon for, for I hope his last name is Dixon. I'm pretty sure his name, first name is Drew. But the one thing that, um, one of his key arguments is like, well, you know, Tesla, this has been done before. So if we draw from the parallel you just walked through with uh, the Japanese invasion and then the Koreans with Kia and Hyundai sort of taking over the karma. It's like, well, it's done before. And what has happened, the, uh, the car makers adjusted. They came out with, uh, you know, with cheaper cars and T Toyota and GM, right size, and there was a shift and a cycle. And so it's going to happen the same thing with EVs. It's just, it's just a drivetrain change. It's not that big of a deal. But then I think back, I'm like, boy, it's way more than that because it's your entire supply chain is disrupted. Your, your parts go down in half. You require way less tooling. If you're unionized, now you have to figure out how to work with the union to, to cut your staff by half unless you're planning to double your units through that those same facilities you have to rework your supplier contracts because again fundamentally the the car is built differently because you don't need an engine and a transmission anymore um 
it's you don't need a part service network nearly as big, probably 20% the size because you barely have to do anything to the electric car. So you don't have oil changes, you don't have transmission fluid, you don't have blah, 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 blah. And so I, I was curious to hear, like, what what are the some of the bare arguments that you get and, and how do you sort of uh, give the other side of those? Like, what are some of the common ones? But if, I don't know, I, I don't know if that's a proper question yeah, if you well, don't face those guys. You know, I, I come across a lot of people, uh, for example, in the community that might live in Germany, that might be pro BMW. I drove BMWs exclusively for 25 years. So I know how that feels. Um, but I think what I try and do is explain my reasoning with numbers. That's what the whole channel is about too, is just model the heck out of everything and just lay it out there. And hopefully we'll do some modeling as well ourselves. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's all I do is you just take numbers, growth, margins, look at their factories, look at the roadmap, look at the products, identify how they scale as much as possible. And the funny thing about me is I sandbag the hell out of everything. So my numbers are very, very conservative. And uh, actually, I just heard something from Warren Redlich, who I think may also be a friend of your channel. A uh, sure. great He's guy. Yeah. And he was, you know, just spitballing, modeling the Optimus bot. And I've modeled it too. But his numbers are so incredible. So if I am half right, the impact will be huge by 2030. If he is 10% yeah. right, Forget that. I mean, we're looking. If at he's ten percent right, he's four x yours. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's like, we're we're talking about a fifty thousand dollar Tesla stock, like literally, just on bot alone. So it's, it's just wild. The, the numbers, the numbers are wild. And again, wh I think what people fail to see with Tesla is how, you know, really understanding. Disruption, innovation, how the S-curves are colliding, you know, not only being the first mover, but their manufacturing excellence and everything else they have going forward, their energy business, the robotics business, the car, like I've got, I've had FSD beta for a long time. Uh, and I see it getting better every week, you know, firsthand experience. Yes, it's not perfect, but it's 92 to 95% the way there, I believe. Um, and and, and then the, the other tragic thing is people don't even talk about the key moats they have. And you and I have tweeted back and forth on some of the key moats, but we'll probably talk about one today, which I think is so important is having 42,000 gas stations across the US. That's something people don't even talk about or think about. Yeah, you know, 42,000 Exxon stations. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. It is mind blowing how, how they were able to scale this and build this. And at the same time, fund the development of the best-selling car on earth model y 2023 so yeah. this, this is this is stuff that it would take a, a six-year-old child with a pencil and paper to say yeah this is special this is different again our wall street analysts don't see it and that's one example so yeah it's quite bizarre can we riff on that a little bit, the supercharger yeah. thing? Because that's that's one, and then and then we can also get on the modeling too. I don't know. Did you model supercharger? Is is that one yeah. of your models? Oh yeah. no, actually, that's not. Oh. Um, okay. And I've I started done it modeling either. a bit of their insurance business too. But I spent a lot of time modeling the Mega Pack business, the Optimus business, the car business, yeah. of course. Uh, and I also look very carefully at the competition. You know, is there a chance for competition to come and catch up? And the yeah. answer is no. You know, BYD might be able to make copies of Tesla, but they will not be a Tesla. And they'll never be able to do it as effectively or efficiently as Tesla can do it. And that's just my gotcha. take. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So, so on the supercharger, and then we'll, we'll, we'll start with the models. Cause I know this is something that you've spent a lot of time on. I want to make sure the viewers uh, see the work you've done. Um, so there was news, uh, producer wife, if you can find this, it should be right on Twitter. If you search for, uh, the Tesla, the Tesla charging account that they just announced today that they're, uh, they'll be soon opening up the supercharger network for other electric vehicle uh, car manufacturers in the United States. There's been rumors going around this happening uh, ever since Elon and the Tesla team met with the uh, Biden administration a few weeks ago. Uh, it's probably partly due to the IRA kicking in and they're trying to really incentivize. It's becoming a big part of the rhetoric that the Biden administration is pushing, which is electric car adoption. Uh, so this is a, a Tesla charging uh, account on Twitter. Select Tesla superchargers across the U.S. will soon be open to all EVs. This was published at 4.07 a.m. this morning. Um, uh, wow, the person working there is uh, up really early. <laughs> Good for them. Uh, but uh, yeah, so and so the idea here, I can't tell you where my head is at with this because it might be, I agree with you that it's super underrated and I think it's super underrated for a different reason than charging. So I would agree that the... One of the key components to this day, like one of the most clutch clutch moves that Tesla did back in the day in 2013, I believe, is when they unveiled the supercharger network because they knew long term the freedom to travel in the United States was huge. People in America love being able to drive anywhere they want and they don't have to, they don't want to think about it. And having this fully integrated vertically uh, integrated uh, charging network that just works with your car. You know, to this day, when, when people ask me, well, you have to plan your charge routes, right? I'm like, no, I just type in my destination and I show them on the map. So like, say I, I live in Austin, Texas. I want to go to New York City. I just type New York City and it takes 10 seconds and then it tells me what charger to stop at and for how long. And they're always like, wow, I didn't even know it could do that. That's insane. I thought I had to plan it. I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, does it itself. So that in itself is huge. It's but ginormous. It, it, it'll also tell you how many stalls are free. Exactly. And what's <laughs> and what's at the stalls? Do you get Wi-Fi? Do you get bathrooms? Yeah, you know, exactly. like what kind of power you get? Exactly. So there's all this information. So it's it's phenomenal. So that's one thing it has. Uh, and I don't know. I can't remember if Electrify America offers this for uh, for non-Teslas where you get that kind of information. But um, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But at least at, you have a lot, a, lot, a lot of additional information. Uh, but then the other thing that it does the other thing that it does is that it, it acts as a, as a dealership network for Tesla. It acts as a place for people to shop for Teslas without even knowing they're shopping for Tesla. And so the reason why it does this is, is like this. So you're a Ford Mustang Mach-E owner and the Tesla supercharger network has been opened. And now you know that you can uh, visit a Tesla supercharger, which uh, there are a lot more of and are a lot more reliable than the Electrify American network. This is our factual, this is objective information. And you're going to show up at a Tesla supercharger, say, and at the end of 2024. And there's going to be a Model X, a Model S, a Model Y, a Model 3, and a Cybertruck, more likely than not, parked at that parking lot in that supercharger uh, stall. And you're going to step outside your Mach-E. You're going to look around and be like, whoa, look at these cars. These are cool looking cars. And Tesla knows that their owners are extremely open. And we're all very like, look at this. You know, we're huge nerds. We're geeks. Look at my screen. It's so cool. You know, we're like all just kids in the back watching Netflix on the big screen and stuff like that. While charging. Exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. It becomes its own sales force, right? And mm-hmm. so you've done two things. You're allow, you're allowing your your uh, competitor your competitors customers to pay you for your service and at the same time you're selling your vehicles to these people. And the and the one big thing that I'm really looking forward to saying a couple of years is we have Bucky's which is a huge gas station um chain out here in texas it's like you know the the biggest gas station in the world they call it and uh they're just opened one in uh, el paso i think or plano uh, that's going to have 48 stalls uh imagine that thing in about two years when it's like half of them are cyber trucks and you have all these f-150 and f-250 owners gassing up and then they're surrounded by cyber trucks you don't think that's going to send the message I'm have, curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Hummer EVs have to stay there for six hours to get a charge. Yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot of weird stuff. I, you know, let's talk. Let's take a step back. You mentioned a couple of names like um, I think Electrify America, EVgo, ChargePoint. I'll tell you my experience with ChargePoint. They are the best of the three. Okay. But 25% to 30% of their charges will be out at any given time. And sometimes they are out not just for a day or a month. But I know cases where it's still broken years later. They don't fix them. Um, well, EVgo are very expensive. I don't know why. I've tried it, but it's extortionate compared to a Tesla charger. And Electrify America, they're just broken all the time. I think the Tesla superchargers have a 99.8% uptime. So wherever you go, you're going to definitely get one. And because what other people don't factor in is they charge so much faster. Like you need four or five hours at a charge point. Uh, you need 15 to 20 minutes at a supercharger. And that's that's time. Time is money. And people don't factor that. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's yeah. just crazy. Their technology is so far ahead. I am a little bit concerned about a couple of things. And I was debating this myself this morning. Is, is it a pro or is it a con for Tesla to open up their supercharger network? Because, first of all, I see that as a moat. You know, it's more of an incentive to buy a Tesla if you get access to 45,000 gas stations. As cheap. Mm. Or, as you say, is it become like a store? Is it a guerrilla marketing campaign? Hey, we're going to give you access to what? 7,500 divided by 42,000. Was it 20% of the chargers? Yep. Uh, you're not going to get all of them, but you're going to get a little taste. <laughs> and the other yeah. thing I don't know yet is if there will be varying rates for non-Teslas. There should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there should be penalties for people that leave the cars at the charger after it's full, like serious penalties. And people do that. I see people parking in Tesla charges all the time with gas cars. They're not even electric. Um, and also, what's go- how much money is the government giving Tesla to build out their superchargers, the supercharging network? That could be a very juicy deal because we know that Tesla can build a supercharger, you know, not only five times faster, but at a fifth of the cost than any of the other competitors. And we know that from public data actually in Texas. So um, mm. they, are, they are all the counterpoints. Again, it's just, it's, it's like everything, everything that they do is just insurmountable. And I imagine if I was starting a car company today, would I even be able to catch up from scratch? The answer is no, because they've put so much money into the infrastructure that is that moat. So that's my take yeah. on that. That's that's a fascinating take. So the way I think about that is that the it's almost like it's a marriage of the altruistic mission of Tesla like that 
uh, we want to advance the advent of sustainable transport, and we're going to do it at no co- like at whatever cost it takes. And opening up the supercharger network is part of it because we want to allow as many people as humanly possible to be able to charge their EVs, which will drive EV adoption. Sure, but I think I think that has been that mission that I think is pure is also side by side with the fact that Tesla happens to have the best talent in the world who will, the byproduct of that is you're going to have the best product in the world, the best ecosystem in the world, the lowest costs in the world, the best performing things that you build in the world, right? And so those things, two things have come together. And I think that's why it's such a, that's why it can be such described as such a moat. Because even, even if they open it up, my guess is a significant percentage of the people that will visit those superchargers with their what are likely very good vehicles from, say, Ford or GM or whoever, are still going to look at a Tesla and be like, huh, that thing's kind of cool. I'm going to take a look. I'm going to try it out. It's literally, they are one step away from the owner saying, yo, just five minutes. Let's drive it around the parking lot. Let me know what you think. That's it. It's so easy. It's yeah. so easy. So it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy almost, you know? Um, I do think... I do think from an economics perspective, there's also a lot of potential for them to make a lot of money. I think I think ultimately, it's a Tesla as a business, they're a public company, they have to make money. <laughs> they have to figure out how to serve their shareholders. So I think they're going to build it in a way that is quite uh, additive to the company's profitability, for well, sure. In fact, on that note, I'm sure you know this, but Tesla, Elon Musk, he runs every unit like a profit center. So the supercharging network had to be profitable. Except for service. Service, Yeah. And I have, I have a, over a four-year-old Tesla X, never been serviced. I still have the original tires after 40,000 miles. I don't know how, how that's even possible. Really? So, yep. How? <laughs> <laughs> I don't drive as fast as you, maybe. Well, but, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, the way, the way you burn up tires, you go fast around corners. And I used to race cars and motorbikes and stuff a little bit on the side. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, just if you drive easy at this stage of my life, I kind of, you know, you, you learn a different style of driving as well with an EV as uh, I think it was the guy from, um, he takes apart the cars, Sandy Monroe. Sure. He describes driving with one foot. Like literally, if you become a good driver, you never actually use a brake because you right. know you're sacrificing power when you do that. You just let the, let the car regenerate itself. So everything changes. Yep. Yeah, it does. Let's get into some models, yeah? You want to show yeah. some numbers? Well, let's talk about uh, products, maybe. Like, um, yeah. well, maybe before we do, there was a, a news release out about Tesla Vision. Uh, and I'd like your take on this. I shouldn't be asking you sure. questions, but I will. But the fine. new hardware 4, there's a lot <laughs> yes. of stuff floating around. 11 cameras, uh, two new side-facing cameras, one front bumper, two in the windshield, and high-def radar. That means rain and snow, Correct. Uh, it it should, not. yeah, it should. Let me go sure. ahead and uh, let me share this thread with producer wife so she can bring it up for us as we talk through it. Um, yeah, for those that are following the Tesla story, there's been some uh, some breaking news in the last couple hours here, four hours. It looks like somebody got their hands on hardware four, uh, the computer at least, uh, and and some of the other pieces maybe. But there's a Twitter thread we'll go down it. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think hardware four is going to be able to do any of any of all of those things. I I still feel like they they may have been able to do uh, snow, rain, maybe light fog with just the cameras, but it is interesting how this new hardware 
um, could could like allow them to really do everything. But then I have so many questions on what the implications are for all the cars that have hardware three. And what does yeah. that mean for autonomy? Exactly. Like my, my car did have, well, it's funny. They did have to change uh, the computer in my car because it was four and a half years old. But that's all they did. Everything else yeah. works fine with FSD. So their backwards compatibility is mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. And my range is longer now after four years than it ever was in the history. And I do a 255 mile route every month. And I've never done it before without a charger, without a charge on the way. And I don't go below 20% uh, battery power. And I did it um, back in January where the temperatures were about minus eight Celsius. So oh. again, mind-blowing how, how they develop the cars. And these are things that unless you own one, the outsiders don't even understand or can't even fathom. But the reason yeah. I talk about the hardware four is because you know if they can pull off FSD, it means they can pull off RoboTaxi. And that means the stock price is just going to go vertical. It'll be- Balloon. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be <Should>. beyond crypto <laughs> what crypto does you know in some cases so that's what's really exciting that's why i want to pick your brain before we jump into some of the other business lines uh what do you think of tesla yeah. vision yeah i i do think it's going to be a huge i do think it's going to be a huge additive part of the uh, i mean it's going to be nuts it's going to be completely in in insane if they can get it done which i think they will obviously you know i have i have faith that uh that Tesla, the company, and Elon will be able to execute against this. I mean, version 11 has been delayed multiple times now. Hopefully, we get it here. We'll start getting it this weekend or this week. But I do have confidence that they will. The goalposts keep getting moved later and later. And again, this hardware four piece is a little, could be a little bit of a, it might put the hardware three folks a little bit, a little bit afraid, I honestly, because I, I sort of, I guess that this might become an issue, a small one, but I think it's going to become an issue because if hardware four truly is the one that uh, enables real, real, true, a hundred percent autonomy where you can robo taxi it out. I'm curious if there are people that are buying their hardware three cars today that may not be able to do that with their cars, uh, potentially. Yeah. But again, this might be something that we'll get, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have well, to think through. Yeah. Two challenges in that is again, as I mentioned at the beginning, they make everything backwards compatible. So if you do have hardware three, but this uh, one isn't, though. That's the thing. Yeah, but but I'm sure they'll make they'll make a path to make your hardware three car upgradable. Or do you believe it's impossible? I don't know. So let's let's go through the thread and kind of show you why I think it might be a challenge. So go ahead and uh, pull up the thread again, producer wife, and we'll go down. I'll, I'll show you a couple of things. Again, this is do not take what I say as gospel. This is just speculation. This is what I think is happening. So let me read that first tweet real quick. Uh, this is so this is hardware floor. I'm going to tell you all about it. Here's a casing. So go ahead and scroll down. Uh, for the hardware for computer. Keep going, keep going. So stop right there. To start with sort of bad news, the form factor is totally different. So definitely no retrofits on this one. This is speculation, I'm guessing. Uh, top left is new unit, bottom uh, current uh, plaid unit. So go ahead and click on the left uh, picture there uh, and pull that up. Yeah, so you can see there, there are two different looking computers. Now, they could make brackets that make makes it easier for them to sort of install. But the 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 computer itself, the form factor is different. And go ahead and close that uh, picture uh, on the oh, top left. I don't know why they put it there. Yeah, there's another picture there. So it just looks completely different. Um, there's some pictures of the chips there on the next, um, on the next thread. Uh, not a lot of differences, it looks like, but there are some changes. Go ahead and keep going. Uh, keep going, keep going, stop right there. Uh, keep going, one more. Okay, there we go. 
So sensors, there are now 12 fully populated cameras connectors. One is marked spare though. So go ahead and click on that picture right there. So uh, if you're familiar with uh, the full self-driving uh, suite now, you know that there is uh, eight total cameras for hardware three, whereas hardware four has a, a supposedly 11. So this could mean that uh, there's going to be additional cameras. And if you close that picture and scroll down a little bit as well, uh, there's something about moving. Uh, go ahead, sorry, scroll up a little bit. Uh, right there. Perfect. Uh, so make that 11 cameras. Uh, the names are a bit cryptic, but looks like side camera side cams are in front fenders now. Rumors of two cameras in the windshield are confirmed. Uh, yep. The cameras are front, left, rear, LFF rear, RFF rear. Uh, and then there's some selfies of some of the things. So, so again, we're going to have to wait and, and, and get some official confirmation from Tesla. And then the comments section, definitely let us know what you're hearing, what you're seeing about this. And this could take, who knows, this could take years. <laughs> this could take uh, months to come out. I don't know if this is like, it, I don't even know if this is true, right? Well, Cybertruck cyber is hardware four. So technically sure. you could say July, 2023, it'll be on the road. Sure. If they got their hands on early, yeah, for sure. And we're speculating, but I, I don't think Tesla would make something that wasn't in some way backwards compatible with a couple of extra plugs or mm -hmm. uh, maybe mounting a camera in a different way. But we'll see. Either way, I've yeah. been very impressed with what they've done so far. All for right, sure. let's talk. Let's talk about um, what do you see let's as the big, biggest opportunity? Is it the bot? Is it the energy business? Is it yeah. something else? Is it an EV tall down the line? Is it <laughs> robo taxi? The and biggest opportunity, yeah, like by far, for Tesla. For, you pardon? mean like long term? Long term, yeah. the biggest opportunity easily out of all those. Yeah. Um, it has to be the bot. It yeah, has exactly. to be the bot. Yeah, yeah, it has to be the bot because it's uh, it's really, it's really the solution that's going to make physical labor long term into a, a true commodity of sorts right into something that's going to be so accessible and so cheap relatively speaking to where we are today that it's going to allow um i don't know it's going to allow anybody to do anything physically for a fraction of the of the cost of what it costs now so say it costs me i don't know uh x x i don't know 20 dollars an hour to hire somebody to help me do something or, or to help, uh, you know, build out the landscape, 25 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour, whatever that number is. Now with this bot, theoretically, it's going to be just the cost of materials to build that bot and the, you know, the, the, the fixed costs and variable costs to manufacture it, uh, which Elon Musk has openly said is going to be somewhere on the order of 20 to $25,000 ish at full ramp. Uh, and then, any additional cost from that is what Tesla decides to charge <laughs> for that for that bot. And if that bot's going to be able to operate for, say, at least five years uh, at the average pace of a human, if a human is typically works eight hours a day and all the bot has to do is charge, theoretically, the bot can probably work 20 hours a day. Right. So that's almost three X utility uh, for five years. And so you're basically paying 25,000 in costs for something that you would have to pay triple the amount of if you were to hire the same amount of labor in a human. And so the question becomes, what's Tesla going to charge? Are they going to charge the gap? You know, are they going to say, we're going to pocket the difference between how much it costs for the bot 
versus how much you would have paid for the human labor, and we're going to charge 20% less and we'll keep the, the, the profit? Or are they going to say, in the same manner they want to advance the avenue of sustainable transport, they're going to say, we need to make labor as plentiful as possible, so we're going to do cost plus. We're going to go cost of the bot plus 25%. Regardless of what happens, the, this thing is going to be adopted at such a scale that it's going to completely transform what it means to have physical labor. You know, in the real world. So, but one 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 uh, model is going to have it at insane valuations if they're if they decide to just go off of supply and demand of labor, and then the other one's going to have it at a much lower valuation, but it's still a 10, 20, 30, 40 trillion dollar valuation because it's going to be in such high demand uh, by the entire global population. Because who wouldn't want to have extremely cheap labor handy? That's how I think about it. It's exactly. insane. <laughs> yeah, the, the the number of applications, et cetera, are crazy. But there was a little bit of an aha moment. Let me see. Can I share my screen? Yeah. So if I'll, you do present yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Let me just. And then pick your screen, pick your window. And then producer wife will bring it in. in a second. Yeah. There we are. And then if you're in the comments section, let us know how you're enjoying this content. Make sure you go check out James's channel, Invest Answers, like, subscribe, YouTube stuff. I'm not the best YouTuber, but I think I have to say this stuff. <laughs> uh, and yeah, thank you again, James, for joining us today, man. Oh, no, so my much. pleasure. So yeah, I am. Hopefully I'm sharing some. Yeah. So producer old, wife should be able to. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, this is the the old version um, that I did way back in November, or October 2022. And I looked at kind of like my bot estimate. Now I took some data from different sources around how many jobs in factories could be botified, uh, carrying stuff around, et cetera. And then the average cost, which was very, very conservative at the time, I think I, I was estimating about $25,000 a pop, but they were saving a $65,000 salary in the year 2030. And I believed, based on my super conservative modeling, they could sell 7.69 million of them in 2030. And that would add about $1,180 to the stock price. Real simple. But then, this is what happened next. Uh, I listened to Warren Redlich the other day. And Warren, if you're out there, hello. Great stuff. Shout I love that his mind <laughs> thinks because he, he breaks everything down to the base layer, which is you know the battery and the megawatt hours that can be produced, et cetera. But he said... The battery cost would be a 40th of what the battery cost is in a Model 3 or a Model Y. And that was an aha moment for me. And that is kind of one of the expensive things. He believes the manufacturing cost could be as low as $5,000. And the sales price would be $100,000. And they could sell 100 million units, not 7.6 million, which is my estimate. Uh, and the revenue under him is $10 trillion. Revenue under me is $500 billion. The cost under him is... 500 billion, same as my revenue, coincidentally. And uh, mine is about, you know, 55% margin, pure profit. Yeah. Uh, and that adds about $2,700 to the stock price. And to his model, it's $95,000. So things get real crazy real quick. Now, yeah. can you still see my screen? I, uh, it's on the same on the same chart. It says Optimus oh. Modeling, Warren Redlick, IA. Oh, there. there you go. Okay. That's an Excel sheet, yeah. Can you see the Excel sheet? All right. Yes, this is where I'm going to hit your Oh, am I going to do it now? Brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why not? Why not? All right. So, yeah, sure. Because I know you think about this, and uh, whoops, and I think about it too a lot. In fact, yes. I spent far, far, far too much time thinking about this. And uh, 
let's plug in some numbers. So what do you believe the manufacturing cost would be of the bot? Yeah, so um, the manu- this is 2030 or this is like yeah, long-term? This is 2030. This is, it's going to take them a long time to get this thing ready and test Warren it. thinks 100,000 by 2030. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he thinks he didn't even say a year. Uh, it could be a lot before that. But I like to, See. you know, we're not far yeah. away from 2030, like seven, eight years. So I'm going to say, so let's see. So realistically speaking, I'm, I'm going to think out loud how I'm going to, I'm going to try to model this. The, I don't think the first bots realistically are going to be sold at the earliest, at the earliest in 2025, the first one. Okay. And um, the amount of material to build a bot, it's going to be probably call it a fourth, maybe probably less, probably between a fourth and a 10th of the material, like the raw materials that would be needed to build a car as an example. So that's how I think about it. Cool. So if that's the case, then the raw material costs of the bot will be somewhere between those two things. Now, the thing that has to be worked on for the next six, seven years is the manufacturing processes. How do we scale this bot up, right? So a lot of the investments are going to be in the machinery, the tooling, uh, the the sourcing, the supply chain. And that's where, again, Tesla and when Elon says we're manufacturing experts, that's where that's what, that's what, that's what, that's what they mean. It's not just get the materials. You also have to figure out how to build it. But let's yeah. assume that they're actually going to be very good at that in, in seven years' time because by then, they would have also unveiled the Cybertruck and the RoboTaxi. So let's say the cost to build a bot by 2030, I'm going to guess, see, because the compact car is going to be like 20,000 or less. So I'm going to say the bot is going to be, I'm going to say 15,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we all know that they can easily save 65 to $100,000 in salary, but they should be able to last eight, 10 years and they're upgradable over the air. So the, Right. The value prop <laughs> of these things is when you yeah. start modeling that, it becomes real crazy real fast. But I kept yes. it real simple, like a multiple of a couple of levels of margin, for example. Um, yeah. And I know it, even if people need gardening care, lawn care, factory care, somebody to flip burgers at a McDonald's or whatever, yeah. um, or carry stuff out of a Home Depot. It still is um, extremely valuable if they can pull it off. And I believe they can. And one of the things I was very impressed with, actually, when they showcased Optimus is how much time they spent on fingers and joints, because that's where the money is. And it was all about efficiency and effectiveness, no waste. And that was impressive. That's what makes it useful, right? Yeah. What's your ASP But here's the deal. This is where I think Tesla surprises everybody. I don't think Tesla, I, I, not only lease them, but I, I think it will allow people, I think it will, they will do both. They will do lease and buy. Because if even if they lease, here's the complications with, lease, with leasing, is that now Tesla becomes, uh, they will monopolize labor, you know, in a sense, where uh, physical labor long term, they become a, a, a outfitter of like, like, hey, hire us for labor. They become like a temp agency, but it's of bots that they can produce uh, in infinite amounts almost, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know if that's the right thing. I don't know if governments will allow that. So I, and, and Elon has, Elon has uh, talked about how he wants the bot to be as affordable as a car where anybody can just buy the bot. 
and they can help him around the house. So here's where I think it's going to differ from from Warren's as an example, because Warren's thinking about it as a demand supply and demand sort of uh, uh, model where it, the the market's going to want to pay a hundred thousand dollars because if it can uh, quote unquote displace or replace labor, that's going to be doing uh, the same type of work as that one, and you save. Uh, $500,000 over 10 years, you can charge whatever you want. So you land on 100,000. But I think it's the opposite. I think Tesla wants to democratize labor. So I'm going to say 25,000 for ASB. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How many can they build and sell? Uh, this, is, this is where my numbers start to get crazy. Because that's that's where the assumption here is, is that they'll be able to create um, bots at a multiple of the compact car because it's going to require less materials. It's probably going to be more complex, but you think about the form factor of a bot versus a car. A car is, a compact car is going to be probably 10 times the size of a bot, probably more, like from a volume perspective. So the amount of room you need square footage-wise to make these bots is going to be way less. So you're going to be able to crank out a lot more through the same footprint. So I'm going to say... Let's let's make this assumption. Let's say Tesla reaches 20 million cars per year by 2030. And let's yep. assume the compact car robotaxi is somewhere on the order of 10 million, right? Let's just assume that's the case. Probably wrong, but let's just assume based on their projections. I'm going to say and this the bot is probably going to reach the scale uh later than this, but let's just assume I'm I'm correct as an exercise. Um I'm going to say they'll be able to make 20 million bots in 2030. Wow. Okay. That is, uh, that's interesting because that's 3x my number. So we're not too far off. But it's so almost the same number. But hang on, there must be a problem here. No, it's my ASP is lower than yours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. That's, that is yeah. very bizarre. Yeah. Oh, well. um, and your margin then is much thinner. Correct. So you, so in in Elon Musk democratizing labor, he's not bumping the stock price as much as he could by a long shot. Correct. Now, if you add in the lease model, he might, <laughs> you know, or add-ons, right? Yeah, or like some like, sort of software add-ons. Yeah. Imagine two thousand dollars a month or whatever. I don't know. Because this is where my head goes. This is where my head goes with this, right? Like, say say the base bot that you can buy right now, you can get, I don't know, like uh, house cleaning, pet walking, hammering a board, whatever, like just whatever standard ones. But then you can matrix it by upgrading it to construction builder. You can yeah. upgrade it to like lawn care. And that is where the equation breaks, yeah. I believe. So I, I actually have a bit of a a dark vision for the future where security will be a real issue. And I think okay. uh, these things will be like security guards, not necessarily sure. shooting things, but alerting people to movement around a campus or something. Sure. You know, like, uh, I could those, see that. Those, so what some, do you think of these numbers? Yeah, I, I think, I think you're very, <laughs> you're squeezing the margin. I think, you know, <laughs> everything they do, like look at mega packs, they're 50% margin plus. Um, I, I would bump up your ASP to at least double manufacturing cost. Okay. So, but see that that's the thing though. It's like I don't know. I don't know if it's in. Oh, man, it's it all comes down to what the supply and demand is going to be for this thing, right? Because I think it becomes like a moral quandary. I really think so because if if it really becomes a an issue where 
it they could charge fifty thousand or they could charge I don't know sixty thousand for this thing. You're you are um, not allowing most of the population to take advantage of something that's going to drastically transform their lives by removing like so much, like adding so much time back to their, in their hands, you know? And that's where I, I think it gets super dangerous. This is like, we're talking about AI and robotics becoming a huge problem in the future. This type of uh, conversation that we're having live right now, like this is almost like a board meeting that we're <laughs> sitting down and we're trying to figure out what's the strategy here for our product line, yeah. right? It's very similar. But like that's yeah. like what do we want to do? Do we want to allow, allow uh, supply and demand forces to dictate how much we should make on the bot, or do we want to ensure that the future of humanity is as good as possible? Because my fear is if this thing's priced at a hundred thousand, say with Warren's model, if that's that's his number, then you're just basically I don't think you're allowing the masses to enter into something that could be transformative, which will open up their time to make really cool stuff. Yeah. You know, there's, that's how I another, think about it. There's another it. aspect to this as well, you know, because we know money printing is going to continue. Uh, fiat will debase at at least 14% per year. That lops off at least 40% of the present value of this price. So your, your 25000 in the year 2030 is actually yeah, $20, $30. Is maximum 15000 today. And that's jump change. And also salaries will be elevated as we go into the future as well. So, Right. Um, interesting one to think about. We need to <laughs> have, it's have weird. Board, board meeting with Elon, but it's it's a fascinating topic uh, as yeah. we go forward. And other things, um, let me see. I did. I have a couple of other things here too. By the way, this is so fun. <laughs> yeah. So th this is the. Thank you. Thank you for running the show. <laughs> no, no, no. You did a much better I, job than I am. <laughs> no, I because I I love, I love it. I love the way your your mind works and. Um, <laughs> I know you think about this like I do, but we're we're approaching it so differently uh, between sure. the three of us. So, uh, what do you think, though? But let me ask you this: What do you think? Like, how do you think about that? Like, what where would you land in this equation? Oh, my numbers are there. What I did was I took the the math behind my model is. Let me see if I even have it here. Maybe not. Yeah, you had it at thirty. What is sixty five and thirty five or something yeah, like that? Twenty five. How, yeah. how I backed into it was. I looked at only U.S. market. I looked at only factory jobs, and I assumed 10% of those could be done by a robot, only 10%, so extremely conservative numbers, and that's how I got to that. And then I layered in on top of to get to the 7.6 million, things like somebody making a latte, flipping a burger, et cetera, some security, maybe some lawn mowing, and that's how I got to the 7.6 million units because you know, if we do assume some of the other crazy numbers from, from Warren, for example, 100 million, most of them being in places like in Western countries, that means nearly every household could have a bot. And you think about it, and that's that's a lot of penetration, in my yeah. opinion. So, we'll But see. it will happen at some point. I do think, yeah. I think the 100 million will happen, just not, probably not by 2030, but maybe by 2040. Yeah, and uh, if, 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 they, you know? the, if they stamp them out and they have all the... The ability to make kind of what is FSD hardware for or could be hardware 10 by that stage. Um, because one of the other amazing things that people don't realize is everything that Tesla builds to make sure that it can be repurposed. Like I think 80% of the components across all the cars are common. Isn't that, is that the number? That's probably high. I, across all cars? No, across all cars is probably less, but Model 3 and Y probably share 50 to 70%. Okay. Something like that. But if you take, yeah. for example, the Tesla Semi, 
with the plaid motor. It's the same motor. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I imagine when they put together, for, you know, the end state for FSD software, it'll be what will be on Optimus as well. Sure. And of course, many platforms will be able to stamp these things out fast. So, yeah, uh, interesting, interesting times ahead. Uh, so where would you like to go next? <laughs> What, what, so I know we talked about energy. We talked about uh, uh, the, the car business as well. So we kind of saw, did, did, did your previous one have the car? You had like a slide where you were showing the car as well at the top. Yeah, I've got um, uh, car, car model growth and car business. Um, okay. Yeah, this is kind of like a, a summary of everything. Can okay. you see is this Is there one? one specific one? Let me see. Let's throw it up there. This, this is kind of rolling up uh, mega packs. We can dig into that too. The bot business sure. and the cars. My projection is for twenty point nine three million by twenty thirty, and of course, wow. uh, that'll add so about. So packs, you're still you're still at a fraction of of the cars. Maybe we should do that. Let's look at packs. What do you have for packs? Yeah. So this is um, let me see. This is my mega pack forecast. Um, okay. Can you see this one? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Uh, here, twenty twenty three. 8,000 units, not the 10,000 they say they can scale Lathrop to. I probably said that name wrong. Apologies. Uh, also, the ASP <laughs> is 2.1 million. I assumed 1.35 million with a 40% margin. Again, I like to not get people too excited. So I take their numbers and take 30 to 40% off and 40% uh, margin. Profit attribution 2023 will be worth about $43 in gain of share price, assuming a PE of 30 I think because of the EBITDA growth rates that Tesla has, it should easily be valued at a PE of 40 to 60. But again, to be conservative, 30. So once the market figures out exactly what Tesla is and they start seeing all these different product lines coming to market, they'll say, whoa, hold on a second. Um, so that will add 43 bucks. But as you go forward, it'll add about $369. But I scaled up the mega pack units kind of slowly because I am a little bit concerned about that. The gating factor is battery production. Got it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a, that's a reasonable take for sure. Yeah. This one to me, like this one to me is truly conservative. Like I would say this one's legitimately conservative. I think uh, if I look at my models and I'm, I'm still finalizing them all the way out to 2030, like truly in detail, I think this could be double, double this in my opinion. Again, not financial advice. Uh, the only reason why I say that is I, I do think the growth rate will be sustained at 50% or above. I yeah. think there, there will definitely be limitations around battery supply for sure, 100%. But I think uh, one of the advantages of Tesla is that they're gonna, they innovate and they are willing to vertically integrate a lot of these processes. And, and, and if they need the batteries, they'll freaking go out and get them. Like if the mining stuff is a shortfall. Uh, Elon has talked about how he will personally figure out how to make mining work. Like, we'll, like we yeah. don't want to, but we'll get it done. We'll get it to <laughs> it's mine. It's funny because I, I think about that. I think everything this guy does, he has a master plan behind it, which he doesn't divulge. Like, yeah. why, why did he set up the boring company? Not to get cars quick, quickly from LA to San Francisco or whatever, or across Texas, where you are. From ours. But maybe it's to mine. That. Think about that. I've yeah. never heard anybody think about that, but I think about that all the time. Um, yeah. Because that is that is the the lithium is the gating factor here. And also, you can easily turn the share price gain to $800 by just moving the ASP up to what they're selling it for today. 
And that doesn't even take into account inflation. So, and the debasement of currency. Again, I say I sandbag everything like hell. Technically, this thing could be selling for $4 million a year in 2030. You take 90,000 units times $4 million at 50% margin, the numbers get really crazy. It's over $1,000 uh, yeah. credit attribution to the stock price. So that's just... Mm-hmm. My model for this one would be like, I would do 50% growth rate for every single year. I would make the ASP 2 million and I would make the margins 35%. Well, we can play with That's it right a- now, actually, if you want. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. I'm curious to see where it would end up. Hold on a second. You're so organized. I love this is what I really like about you, dude. Like when I went on your, I got to tell you, when I went on James's channel, I had a list of 30,000 questions and it was so organized. And, and he comes on my channel. I'm like, eh, let's just whatever. <laughs> okay. So I'm let's going fly to, by the seat of our pants. <laughs> I'm going to actually let's just edit this. I'm going to make a copy. No, we just we just play with it. Dang, I know I better make a copy. This is going to be. Yeah. I don't want to break your model. Again, I'll use this this break too. If you're enjoying this content, please like and subscribe. Please make sure to visit James's channel at Invest Answers. Look at that, producer wife. Thank you very much. This is my uh, my uh, terrible voice for promoting uh, you this. Guys, you guys are awesome. <laughs> okay, let's 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 play Look some. Uh, I call this Farzee Tesla Mega Back Model. I'll share it with you let's after, it. so you have it. Okay, Perfect. so give me your units. Uh, give me your growth rate. Give me your ASPs. Give me your margins, and the rest will happen. Perfect. Okay. So, um, so growth rates will be fifty percent. Okay. Um, do you do you want us to share a screen, or are you doing it on, on your oh, end? Sorry. Uh, yeah. Got. Is oh, it showing now? Let's go ahead and see it. Perfect. Okay. All right. The Farzi. Can we play some like music or something in the background? I'm kidding. Uh, growth <laughs> rate. Uh, <laughs> producer wise and magician. Fifty percent growth rate for every single year. Okay. Oh. I'd like us to scale this down. So hang on a second. Let me pop this. There it goes. Perfect. Uh, ASPs of 2 million. All right. Are they growing or staying flat? Uh, let's just keep it flat. Okay. No inflation. All right. Uh, and now, that, the, the way I think about that is that that's their, they're going to pass on those savings to the customers uh, in, in some way. So like that's like my long term, like, hey, the price of our product is going to come down through economies of scale. So that's I'm like offsetting inflation in that way. It's minimal, but that's how I'm thinking about it. But there's also an argument to be made that the demand is going to be so high that they it'll be something similar to now where the Model 3 is more expensive than it was, way more than inflation because of how much demand there is. But that's a separate question. Yeah. Um, Actually, let me stop you there for a second because I want yeah. to get. I want to start with the units on the left um, because I saw a news release yesterday. I didn't dig into it too hard. I was so busy with a million other things, but apparently they're opening up a new mega pack station in Ottawa, Canada. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. So that means the yep. units could be way beyond twenty thousand in twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five. It could be. Okay, it so let's, let's, let's. Where do you see units coming in? I know the capacity is ten thousand, but I also well, know the growth the, rate, you know, right? Eighty three a week. It it would be out of the growth rate. So if you start, so it started started eight thousand twenty twenty three. That's fine. Okay, but then do twenty eight fifty percent on top uh, year year over year. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. doing that for us. Oh, hang on. It's oh, it is already. Tree. Yeah, sh- we'll we'll be in a second. Okay, there you go. Nice. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Margin. And then margin 30, I'm going to say 35%. Actually, okay. but that doesn't make sense though, because the ASP is staying up. 
hold on. They're, they're doing 50 currently. They believe they can do 50 today, but I sandbagged it and took it down to 40. And as they scale, they'll be able to increase their margins. Where are you getting the 50 from? Uh, the guy, what's his name? He's the Megapack guru on... Um, on Twitter? Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, and also... Uh, the other guy who was really good. Oh my name! My name memory for names is so bad. Yeah, I think your JP Satre and Zero Sum Game is probably who you're referencing. Yes, correct. From Twitter. Yeah, they I think. Um, yeah, they they have some reports that show that. I'm I'm just hesitant to say 50 because I do think, man, I don't know. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do 35. I'm gonna do 35 just because if I say 50, it's gonna add a thousand dollars to the share price. And I'm just gonna not do that. <laughs> so let's do 35 for every single year. I'm just curious to see where the number ends up. It's probably gonna be somewhere around $900. I'm gonna guess for yeah, 800 to 900 bucks. Yeah, um, which is more than double Tesla's all-time high, which is a two trillion dollar valuation, uh, market cap-wise, right? By 2030. Yeah, and it's nobody's thinking about this. And this, I would argue, like you said, like I would argue this is conservative. Hmm. This is a conservative business model for Tesla Energy. Like we go back to fifty percent margins, which I believe they will be able to do at scale, or up to twelve hundred bucks share price gain. Which, ladies and gentlemen, is a six X from here, just from one product. This, this is this, <laughs> this is where this company gets Shh, nuts quiet. because it's like <laughs> you know it's, it's very very unfathomable. Um, yeah, and. Going back to what we just said about the actual, the bot. Uh, uh, let me see. Where was our bot number? Uh, this is, oh, now, the, the one thing to keep in mind with the energy number too, though, is like we started at 8,000, but we don't know if they're going to do 8,000 in 2023. That's the other thing to yeah, keep in mind as well. That's yeah. true. So we got 2,000 yeah. from your bot modeling. We've got at least 800 to 1,200 from the mega pack modeling and my original combo of all three uh, three products by the way it's funny when i first modeled this and did a video on it the tesla stock price is very low so it's a 26,000 2600% roi from where we were but again cars i think will bring in $2000 worth of stock price bots 900 and packs 408 now we can go into the the stock the car two thousand sure. stock price, but just assume that that's like again also very heavily sandbagged, and we can add two thousand for the bots. That's four thousand dollars stock price, and then between eight hundred and twelve hundred for the packs. And we're not yep. even talking about robo taxis or insurance right. or solar. And yeah. I mean, like we're way over five thousand dollars right now. So yeah. anyway. I think that was probably how do you how do you reconcile to the people that say this is insane because I, that's what i hear a lot right like people people will say like it's it's impossible that tesla is going to have a five thousand dollar share price because that means it's going to be a 10 trillion plus dollar market cap and that's never been done before and you're a loony person and yeah. you're so crazy for even thinking that's possible because Apple's largest market cap was three trillion dollars. How do you how how do you uh, how do you uh, rebut that? Yeah, so I don't know if this is sharing as well. It is. Yeah, good. Is. So I go back in history to determine how I can how you can convince somebody what they've done in the past and how they 
can continue to do it and scale for the future. And again, the most amazing thing is they're only ramping up. It's still such early days. If you look at Austin, where you are, Berlin, we've seen what they could do in Shanghai. I mean, it's just crazy. They're only just beginning. And then I, I don't know if we're going to have another four gigafactories over the next four to five years. That's a good question for you, actually. How many gigas yeah. do you think they'll add in the next four to five years? Because it's getting them five. faster. Sorry, go ahead. At least five. My bad. Sorry, yeah. I'm into interrupt you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's crazy. And now also, we've got the Gen 3 platform coming. We don't even know what's going to happen on March 1st. They might say, we're going to be yeah. able to stamp out. Oh, I call them Model 2s. I think I've heard a couple of people say Model 2s as well in the past. Yeah. Tesla the Qs. 20, <laughs> they the, call them the, the Q2. $25,000 car. Maybe they're just going to stamp them out. Just plug some seats in there. Robotaxi may have plastic seats or something. Who, who knows? I mean, that's crazy. But this is where people just have to look. is where they've come from and how far they've come so fast. The last five years is, you know, literally parabolic. And the next five years, I believe, can be almost as parabolic. Yeah. So there, there's uh, one. No, I appreciate that. There's one comparison I draw to um, whenever. So like the reason why I asked you that question is because I, I get that a lot because I've had, you know, I have models on my channel that outline uh, very big numbers into the future as a thought exercise, very similar to what you've done. You know, like we talked about before was like, hey, let's just talk about the potential. Let's not, you know, let's kind of think through if this is possible and what the implications are. I'm not, I'm no Oracle. I have no idea if this is going to become true or not, but let's just do a thought exercise. And one of the examples I came through uh, that, that I, that I discovered was the, um, what is it called? The, the East Dutch Indian trading company. Are you familiar with that company from back in the day? Oh, yeah. 1600s. For those that are not familiar, uh, this company was basically the very first, I believe, public company in the world. It was uh, based out of Holland and they were in the business of uh, uh, transporting goods from one place to another. Unfortunately, during that time, one of their biggest trades was uh, moving slaves from one place to another. If we take their that first company, that first public company market cap and uh, adjust it for inflation and all that good stuff, this company had an $8 trillion market cap back in the 1600s. And why was it so valuable? Because it was offering something that was game-changing for that time. It, it basically allowed trade to exist for the first time in, at scale uh, ever on planet Earth. And unfortunately, I mean, for that time, it was extremely valuable. But unfortunately, it was in the, in the, in the business of dealing uh, uh, slaves, like transporting slaves from one place to another. Horrific. What a catastrophe of humanity. But that's why it was so valuable, because it was providing something that was unique. That, that, that was, and it was very valuable for the world's growth at that time. However inhumane and terrible it was, that's, yeah. that's why it had the valuation. So, uh, you know, let's separate out the horrific things that, East, that this company did and think about some of the valuable things that a company like Tesla is doing is in the case of full self-driving, in the case of electrification, in the case of the bot and things like that. These are going to be game-changing, unique things that are not going to be easily replicable or scalable especially when you have a shortage of raw materials and when you have a company that's so vertically integrated and has married up the expertise of software and hardware into one that's led by somebody that has had decades of experience moving as quickly as possible, who has, has, is a magnet for the best talent in the world. Why wouldn't that create a similar type of outcome versus the East Dutch yeah. Indian trading company? Well, the other thing that I never even thought about, because I do know that history, 
but there is an analog which it doesn't take a genius to figure out what that is and you know the tragic past mapped to the new version of that would be optimus but anyway skipping that i also my wife's message <laughs> i don't know if you saw it in the private chat <laughs> <Little garments. laughs> yeah sorry uh, they, go ahead they James. come for me anyway so uh <laughs> oops we all we do uh again the goal of my channel which i'm sure is yours is to shine a light on where the world is going so it can guide people where they can make a difference in their lives by the way i also model the tesla semi which is also okay. mind-blowing i haven't modeled insurance yet but uh this is the tesla semi let me blow this up for the audience Again, we just go straight to the numbers, 20, 30, $900 added to stock price. They, they pay a larger fee for FSD and the semi-value add. And again, these numbers are very, very low. Um, you know, starting at yeah, 150,000 units, the price 314,000 a pop. Again, they're getting, going to get more expensive because this is one where you can really justify the savings across fuel savings safety, service, all that stuff. It just becomes really crazy unto itself. And mm -hmm. by the way, I heard they're really scaling the Nevada operation right now too. So again, you, you layer on the point I'm trying to make for, the, for you, the audience, which you know, you start layering on all of these different product lines. And we haven't even talked about AGI insurance um, and who knows what else, RoboTaxi. Like these are, are there three other products that could also be huge? Um, I heard, in fact, on insurance, I heard that it is planned by, let me see, I put in some insurance numbers. Have you looked at the Tesla insurance business? I haven't because I have a theory that it's going to be not that valuable in the future. And the reason why I think of, I think about it that way is because if, if and when full self-driving is operational and the safety of the vehicle is significantly better than a human, and there's rarely any accidents or even rare deaths, what are you really insuring? You're just insuring the car. Uh, and if it's barely getting into a car accident, what's the purpose of insurance? So it's gonna be so cheap that it's not really gonna generate much revenue. That's how yeah. I think about it. What makes insurance fascinating is if you know how, like you talk about say ice car manufacturers being inefficient, <laughs> try the insurance industry. Oh, sure. You know, sure. they, they spend, I think, 30% of every dollar distributing the product. And then there's a thousand middlemen that are in scams all across the whole value chain from repairing of vehicles to who knows what. I mean, it is just ripe. So even at the crazy low numbers, I just have a couple of very short numbers to share with the audience. Mm. Just so it could be, it could be interesting. Uh, share screen, make sure I do it again. Um, there. Uh, let me... Make sure this pops up. Just, just food for thought. Um, right now, they believe they will be a top ten insurance carrier in the United States within a year or two. I'm not sure of the exact time frame. They're actually at a three hundred million dollar premium run rate. It's already very profitable. They're growing at twenty percent a quarter, and seventy percent of Tesla customers are penetrated in the U.S. and they only operate in about eleven states. That is stunning. So, and they're launching in Europe. I think they opened up an office in the UK in London and how it prices like this, this has been a vision of the insurance industry for a long time. Yeah. How do you discern between a good and a bad driver? <laughs> There's a scoring yeah. model that does it. This, this is, this is a, a thing for me that is just like real time analytics that prices your protection. Um, for sure. And, and the, again, talk about moat. 
just nobody can touch them in this regard. Nobody. A hundred percent. So anyway, but I, I, I do think long term though. Like I wonder. Like yeah, it, as long as people drive their cars, I think they will be. This will have a lot of potential. But I do think if the long term goal of Tesla is to have a driverless future, I think this is a much smaller piece of the puzzle. In my opinion, I could be a hundred percent wrong. But that's like if I'm thinking 10, 15, 20 years out, I'm not thinking about insurance because it's like, what's the point of insurance when the car ain't crashing? You know. Yeah. But I think the way I look at it, it's kind of different. Not only can they do it a lot better, cheaper, faster, but also help reduce the TCO for the customers while they're still driving. Again, I don't believe people like people like me. Sure. I always like their freedom, and always like to have my own car, and I don't like to be in places that other people may have been, um, especially with who knows what's happening in the future. But anyway, that's just the insurance business. So right now, yeah. <laughs> you layer on all that value, we're looking at somewhere as between a six to $8,000 stock by 2030. Is that yeah. far-fetched for you? Uh, and I haven't even begun to price the real money makers. <laughs> so nothing is far-fetched for me with Tesla. That's what it really comes down to. Really, when you have... The talent that they have and the leader in Elon Musk and sort of the culture that they've built, it's kind of hard to bet against any possibility. It just becomes a, a, um, a game of statistics. What's the likelihood that Tesla will reach eight to $10,000 a share price by 2030? It's not so much that it's impossible, but what's the likelihood that they, that they will or they would? And I think because of the variables that they have, the likelihood for a Tesla to reach those levels is much higher than others, but it might still be 1% or 2% or 5%. I think as long as FSD gets solved, as long as they reach 20 million cars per year, and as long as the bot is a reality, literally the sky is the limit, I believe. And that could be 10,000, that could be 100. I don't, know what the, I don't know what the hell that number is because then you also have to take into account if Tesla becomes this force of mass manufacturing, there's also going to be deflation. You're also going to have a lot of deflation for a lot of these technologies. But then what? how is that cost curve down in comparison to the adoption of the rest of the world? Because the one thing that we haven't even touched about on that I think is going to be massive for Tesla, especially as it relates to Master Plan Part 3 that they're going to unveil here on March 1st, we haven't even talked about how this impacts developing nations. You know, you have uh, something like uh, 4 billion people in the world have less than a hundred thousand dollar net worth not that it's low but it's like they have they have enough wealth uh somewhat but they're not like they don't have money coming out of their ears so they can't afford anything and everything they're very cost conscious as they should be everybody should be cost conscious but they really have to plan their lives around that money and then you have another 2.7 billion people in the world that have nothing to their name they have yeah. zero dollars to their name that live in abject poverty what happens when you have technologies like a battery and solar and electric vehicles that are going to be significantly cheaper uh, to run per mile than these things, and you uh, create economies around these new technologies that's going to enable 6 billion people to now enter this new wave of technology where transportation is incredibly cheap and you can generate your own power, no problem. Oh, and by the way, Starlink. You're also going to have the internet and you're going to be able to work with anybody else in the world. This is the kind of future we're heading towards. And this is where Tesla is going to be able to like play, play part of that future. But the question becomes, how much of that do they pocket as profit using supply and demand mechanics? And how much of it do they say, you know what? We ultimately want to move uh, humanity forward. We're going to go cost plus, I don't know, 35% margin. And then we'll just scale up until we get there, 
right? And it just becomes a question of which dynamics going to play out. And whoever the leader is at the company is, I think, what's going to dictate that that playbook. So it could be a thousand dollars a share. It could be a million dollars a share. Not financial advice. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's how I think about it. I hope can that's I a good throw, answer. Can I throw <laughs> one last curveball your way, please? Yeah, and because I know we're we're probably running running a little bit. No, you're away. good. Hold on a second. If you uh, have time, we can also do a Q and A here in a little bit. Are you? Yeah. you have, how much time do you have left? Well, we're. I think we're. Almost an hour and a half. I don't even keep yeah. track. Time flies with you. <laughs> so this is this is an area. Um, Same, likewise. Can, can you see this one? Thank yes, you, sir. There you go. Wife. She's awesome. She's um, the best. So about six years ago, I was asked to invest in a startup that was making these things, and my stumbling block was the power per kilogram of weight to elevate one of these things. Of course, the vision was for it to be a four-passenger vehicle without a pilot, fully automated. And this, this is a mind-blowing thing because when you dig into this whole space, you can see I dig into a lot of disruption spaces, but it's actually a lot easier to automatically fly something than drive a car. It's a lot safer in the air than on the streets because there's so many factors that you've got to be aware of. So... Um, I, I believe in it, but then I heard Google founder was getting into the space. I was like, oh God, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can't compete with him. So that was Shout it. out Google founder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember which one it was. Sergey? Sergey. One of them is big into this whole EV tall place, but this thing just took off yesterday around New York City um, from Manhattan to Long Island. So EV tolls are now a thing. And I know that, again, the key, key ratio is the power to weight ratio of the batteries to be able to elevate these things and all the energy 90% of it is burnt on liftoff once it's in the air it doesn't burn anything and that's that's the crazy thing about the science behind these but do you believe i mean with everything that elon has could an ev tall be next for him yeah yeah i think on, on the joe rogan podcast a few uh years ago now i think he was asked you know when when are you going to come out with planes, you know, that you can do electric planes. And he laid out the, the sort of almost this master plan. And I wonder if that's what's going to be unveiled again, master plan part three, uh, March 1st, he said cars, then commercial vehicles, like semis, you know, like bigger things, then boats, then planes. And mm -hmm. so planes is going to be last. Uh, and I think he's facing it from the standpoint of uh, the, the cost per kilo, you know, per, per, per kilowatt hour equation working out for the planes. And he probably needs to scale uh, from the uh, uh, commercial business and the boat business to really get the economies of scale to work well enough and enough time really to develop the new technologies and the chemistry for it to work in a plane. But of course, of course, it's, there's going to be an electric plane. And of course, Tesla will create one. The, the question is, will, will Elon Musk still be around? when that becomes part of the plan. Um, and it could be that master plan part three, this could be like a somber note, but I, I really think this is part of it too. I really think master plan part three is going to be like the magnus opus of Elon Musk. That's going to be like, here's the plan to ensure that Tesla and the humanity is has, has a future that is fully secured around sustainable energy and sustainable transportation that is also scalable on Mars. And even if I'm not here or, or whatever, not, not that, you know, not, not that he's hundred percent required. Of course, it's a giant piece of the puzzle, 
Um, but somebody will step in the shoes once, once his time is, is no longer here, you know, whenever that is, hopefully a thousand years from now, you know, whenever that date is, but, but he's not going to be around forever. So I think this, this in a way could be his, his, uh, that, like that, again, that, that master, master plan that says, this is what we're going to do to, to just finally put a bow on this whole thing. And then Tesla is self-sufficient, just follow this path and we'll get there. And, and that's how we're going to get there. And planes will be probably one of the last pieces because, you know, once you're able to travel on on the earth and now you're if you're able to travel also in the air, then unless you figure out how to travel through freaking black holes or in in, in interdimensional travel or some stuff, <laughs> you've basically solved every every situation for traveling, I would think. Right. I don't think 2D space, 3D space, unless there's a 4D space somewhere through VR or something, then I don't know what else would be. So. I think planes eventually, and it could be yeah. part of that master plan. I could well, be thinking too large about this, but that's how I'm thinking about it. Well, the problem with uh, these battery-powered devices, that I think they'll only work for short-haul trips. I spent a lot of time in the water as well, so uh, the amount of energy required to push a hull through to displace sure. water is huge. Um, maybe it could be a combination of batteries and sail power, but again, it wouldn't be good for moving large, heavy things. And of course, the most efficient way of transporting stuff is rail i think as far as i understand rolling rolling freight so i think for short-term stuff who knows but anyway we'll leave that rabbit hole behind why don't we do some q semi trucks will be cheaper semi trucks will be cheaper than rail uh like the convoy style yeah Uh, many people have done the math so rail would become a a obsolete for sure but yeah let's do some q a yeah for sure james dude an hour and a half and my god we're just getting started i thought it was 30 (laughs) minutes yeah (laughs) it's amazing um, and, thank you all so much for, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, Sorry, a lot of people I see in the audience as well, like fourth turn and, uh, Bill Lammers and Switzerland. We've got people from all over the world here that I recognize. So awesome. yeah, one question did pop up, um, regarding, uh, I think it was be kind, but shrewd said something about, will Tesla ever make their own semiconductors? I'm going to let you answer that one. I know the answer. Probably, probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it all depends. Well, okay. Uh, Tesla will only make something uh, on their own if they feel like it's a they can innovate enough to make a substantial difference on the cost and the how quickly they can manufacture it. But if something somebody were to come around that is just as good as Tesla would be, or even ninety five percent as good as Tesla would be, I think Tesla would be very much be open to outsourcing that to that party unless they think it becomes a gigantic. Uh, core IP to the business, like the like the battery or like the drivetrain. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, I think they would they would uh, they would outsource. How do you think about it? Yeah, well, I know that they have the Nvidia supercomputer, but then they're building their own dojo, and they specify the chips for that. Do you know who's making those chips? I think they are. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Um, Correct so- us in the comment if we're wrong. Yeah, so the answer yeah. to be kind but true is they're already making their own chips because during the supply crunch of C19, they were forced to code their own chips to work around it, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, so they, you- bought, they bought third-party chips that weren't, they weren't specialized for those use cases and they reprogrammed them to be used. Exactly. So they kind of like, yeah, so they, they used like it. off the shelf. Yeah. yeah, they hacked it basically. Beautiful. Exactly. All right, let's go ahead. Oh, I'm just reading the questions in the chat here. Yeah, so uh, producer wife's going to bring them up here for us on the screen, right on the bottom. Oh. She's going to start tagging them, Is and there then anything we'll open she them up. Do? 
She does everything, man. She's she's a rock star. Uh, let's give a round of applause to producer wife. Let's drop her some clap emojis in the chat for her amazing work. My goodness, what the best wife ever. Look at that. Give yourself a round of applause too, babe. <laughs> uh, from Hadouken, question. Uh, community member, that's why he's got the badge. Thank you so much for your support, Hadouken. You're, you're, the, you're the bomb. Hadouken, I love that avatar. Uh, in terms of the bot, how can Optimus be different than other robots that have been built by Honda, Toyota, Boston Dynamics and their applications? How do you think about this, James? Oh, it's it's just just look at how they do everything with absolute ruthless effectiveness and efficiency. Remember, I remember I worked for a German PhD a long time ago in Switzerland, and she said everything we do is a quadrat is what she said is like e squared. Always, when you apply yourself, be very effective, be very efficient. And I think I've never seen it done before properly at a company until Elon Musk. So when you look at Boston Dynamics, they've been building bots for, what, 30 years? And they've gotten somewhere. But I would shudder to think the amount of CapEx they've spent getting to that level. But again, when you look at uh, AI Day, Robot Day, whatever it was, uh, and you listen to carefully how they're looking at every joint, the load in every joint, the movements, the fingers, they are building this not for functionality, but to achieve 80% of use cases with absolute scale. That's what makes them different. You got it. Nailed it. Yeah. That, and the scaling thing, I think, can't be overstated because the Boston Dynamics, again, Boston Dynamics, Honda, Toyota, those robotics teams are world-class, um, amazing engineers. Props to them. They've done incredible work. But scaling and usefulness are very different than extremely advanced pieces of tech. And I would argue with that, and not that they're not great. I mean, it's phenomenal. They, they, we needed that work to advance robotics to where it is now. But now we've got to do the, like the, like the not sexy work, which is scaling. Scaling has never been sexy. Supply chains aren't sexy, but it's what makes the world go around. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and that's what Tesla specializes in. And it's funny because that whole scale thing, even, you know, there were, I can't remember the CEO of Daimler-Benz Trucking said, mm. there's no way the semi can work. It's not, it's not physically possible. <laughs> and they challenged, but they forgot about the key elements, the regenerative batteries and other, <laughs> other factors and three motors to do different types of things, accelerate and coast and slow yeah. down. It's just, again, uh, once, once I saw rockets, two rockets simultaneously land on their butts together, that was it. I, I would never doubt Elon Musk again. And I am a yeah. bit of a fanboy, self-proclaimed. You probably are too. Me too. <laughs> but <laughs> once I saw that and when he put his freaking Tesla in space, I'm like, okay, just stop doubting this guy. Just he'll, exactly. let him do it. Yeah. Just give him the credit. Okay. And it's, it's paid off as well. <laughs> yeah. Time. Well, well, it's funny you say that, that Daimler truck executive. You know what probably happened there? It's probably his top engineers who, uh, you know, God bless their soul, as they say, you know, like, um, they were probably good engineers, but they didn't do enough due diligence to validate. And they probably saw it as like, it's going to be way too hard. It's not even worth it. And they told the executive it's not possible. And then the executive comes out and says it's impossible. And then Elon's like, well, you're not trying hard enough. So it is possible. Yeah. You're just not putting in the elbow grease to make it happen. And that's how Tesla works. They're willing to put in the elbow grease to make stuff happen. Well, if it's well, physically I, possible, they can do it. And I know where they fell down. They didn't go deep into the math. So what they did was they took whatever, 100 gallons of diesel, Cal calculate the the energy load of 100 gallons of diesel, then turn that over to a car battery, and then multiply the amount of energy provided by the car battery to equate the 100 gallons yeah. of diesel 
and say it's too heavy it'll never fly yeah. <laughs> it'll never roll yeah. and i think that's right. where they got stuck they just they weren't thinking so outside of the box right 100 percent right what about the rest of the truck <laughs> all right this is the next one yeah that's a great point i enjoy talking to you james so much man so fun uh mm -hmm. rgpsx1 question for q a what if Tesla hoards their bots for their own bottom line for the time being. Then demand will build and Tesla moat will grow. That's a such a fascinating question. How do you think about this, James? Well, that is their plan. They will roll them out in the factories first, test them first. And like if you if you look inside uh, Giga Berlin, the machine that makes the machine, it's already mostly bots. I mean, there's not a lot that humans actually do in that factory uh, compared to the load and the speed at which the bots actually operate. But again, it'll be different. But I think, yeah, it'll be a while before they're on the retail shelf, as it were, for sale, probably two, three years out. But then they'll, they'll figure yeah. out a way of doing it. And again, if there is a philanthropic nature, maybe it'll be after to help those most in need first. Yeah, or to yeah I, I see it right there with you. Yeah, I would agree 100%. To the next one. Next question is from Claude. Thank you so much, Claude. He's a friend of the show. They have an awesome uh, channel called uh, Tesla Community. Uh, oh, my God. Let me make sure I get this right. I don't want to butcher this. Uh, He's in Tesla. Britain, it looks like, too. That's right. He is. He's my British friend. A Tesla Community channel. Make sure you check him out. I'm going to link it in the private chat. Claude, thank you so much, brother. Really appreciate you. Profound conversation. Thanks, Farzad and James. Love your material. Love you, Claude. Thank you so much, man. You're awesome. Uh, let's do the next one. Uh, from Julius, question. Do you think SpaceX's point-to-point -point Starship Earth flights will ever happen? What do you think? I don't think that's the mission or the focus. But they, there was talk of them building kind of docking station islands for that to happen, where you could traverse the Earth in a very short amount of time and drop people off in this big floating island and then go to different cities on different forms, but I, I don't think that's the big mission. I think it is to simply make humans be a multi-planetary species, uh, not so much the point-to-point -point across the Earth. There's better ways of doing that. I don't think Starship is for that purpose. Starship, from what I understand, and I'm not as big into SpaceX um, as Tesla, but it's designed to carry heavy payloads. That's what it's made for. Yeah. It's, it's really made for moving really high amounts of tonnage uh, into, into Mars so that you can colonize it. Yeah. Uh, however, there is a use case for it on Earth where theoretically, I mean, you just need to you know hop over. They did a presentation of Starship where theoretically Starship can go from, say, New York to Australia in 90 minutes, you know? So imagine the implications of that. The only way, I think the economics for, for the economics to work, uh, the, the cost to do that trip, which would be insanely expensive because you're going to use a lot of jet fuel or really rocket fuel to make it happen, would need to be somehow warranted by A, that the speed of getting there is going to save you that much money and be the type of raw materials that you have. So my head is the only place this will be valuable is if you're transporting, let's say, gold or like some sort of raw material, lithium, something that's extremely valuable and it's a raw material where you need it as quickly as humanly possible, where the economies, where the, uh, economies make sense. That's the only place Starship works uh, it's point to point. Um, unless like a human needs to be like, I need to get to Australia and freaking, I need to get there in two hours. You hop on your starship and you go and you pay a half a million dollars for a ticket. I don't know. I don't know if there's a use case for that or not. So, um, 
All right, let's do a couple more. Next question. And Marty Party 03, great name. Question. When will Tesla start manufacturing semis in Asia? The addressable market is 4X the US. Ooh, how do you think about that, James? Yeah, well, I've, I spent a lot of time in Asia and they have a lot of old gas burning trucks all over the place. I don't think it's a target market. I think the Tesla semi will be far more, the ROI is far higher on very established freeways with strategically located supercharging stations for trucks. The giga charging stations, they call them, I think. Um, it'll be a while before these things will be deployed in Asia, I reckon. Maybe China first. They've got some very long, straight freeways, which could work. Yeah. And there's also tons, defer- of other, there's tons of other electric semi-competitors out there already. So it doesn't have to be the Tesla semi. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll defer to you on this one. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that market. So uh, we'll go with what you said. Thank you. Uh, let's do the next one. And then we'll do one more. Uh, Claude, Question. What do you suppose could replace the corporate rat race when Tesla bots, AI, et cetera, are managing the distribution and supply of labor? See, this is this is the question. This is the question, right? Um, man, what what do you think could replace the corporate rat race? Holy crap. James, what do you think? I'm going to le- let you do this one first unfairly. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I like the way you say the corporate rat race because, you know, I... A lot of governments and corporations are mismanaged, and I think they abuse labor a lot. So um, I'm hoping if they're coded correctly, they'll make the right decisions all the time and not follow things like the Pauli principle or I think the, the Peter principle, the Paul, I think it's the Peter principle where they promote people to the level of incompetency. Uh, mm. I've seen that a lot of the last when I was working for 30 years. And then the other thing is hopefully they make rational decisions and delegate and reward key employees properly because that does not happen in the corporate world. Um, You know, I I have belief that AI will be able to analyze data and if the right KPIs are in place for the right workers, they would say, oh, look at Susanna over there or Peter over there. They're crushing it. (laughs) Let's pay them requisite money. Uh, But the other guy is just on Instagram all day, you know, skip him. So anyway, that's just my take. I think it, it has to be an improvement because the way it works today is just bad. Um, I think this one, this one's fascinating to think about because really this becomes more a question of like, what will humans do when there is a fraction of the jobs that exist today in the future? And what are those new jobs going to be? And will those new jobs, if they exist, Will they be corporate corporate jobs or will they more entrepreneur type jobs or more like very small companies? Because one of the things I think technology is going to do is that it's going to allow the individual to become much more powerful than they are today. So that's what the cell phone did, right? If you compare, if you compare you and I's capability, like I'll use this YouTube channel as an example. This YouTube channel, I'm so blessed and happy to say that it's literally you know, not not that I needed it, but it, it has become a legitimate source of income for for me. And it's a single person operation. It's not. It's a two person operation with me and my wife. And the reason why we can do this is because of technology, because of the internet and computers. Uh, if I didn't have the internet and computers and a microphone and a camera and a uh, and a and a light and whatever other crap I have behind me, this would not be possible. And if I think back 50 years ago, this doesn't exist. There's zero way for me to make this happen as an individual. And so I, th- I think about that a lot. 
And so what does the bot do in that respect? What does FSD do in that respect? What does ChatGPT do in that respect? AI, automation. As you fast forward yourself and the, the, there's a lot of deflation for technology. I think the individual gains more and more power to do something valuable for society that more closely lines up with their natural ability. And I think ultimately that's what creates true value in the world because you have a person who's truly passionate about what they do and the technology and uh, software, AI, robotics and everything are maximizing that person's uh, maximum potential. And my hope is that as we get close, like farther into the future, more and more people are able to leverage those technologies to become who they, who they want to become and bring value at the same time, which yeah. completely bypasses the corporate rat race. That's how I and, think about it. And the way I look at things that you mentioned, you know, getting started on YouTube and technology and everything else, I think that we have to be very grateful to COVID for doing one thing, and that is giving people time to analyze their own situation and also allowing the creative people be creative and share messages. Like, look at you and I, we connected on Twitter and here we are, our second conversation in two weeks um, together. So the, I think this acceleration of change of how the world is today with communities that are online and all over the world, I see people here in the chat all over the planet, literally every yeah. country is represented. And that is stunning. And that is exciting too. So for those out there looking for a career path, outthink the AI, outthink the robots to so do things that are creative that they cannot do. That is key for your future. A hundred percent. That's fantastic. That's great advice. And yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's do one more. Claude, that was such a good question, bro. Claude's the man. Omar, last question. Do you think Tesla can do a hoverboard powered by SpaceX with the technology they have now? That would be such a pet project. <laughs> uh, what do you think, James? <laughs> yeah, I, I used to study a lot of physics, but I'm out of my depth right now with all the pace of change that's happening. But I do believe there is a way of inverting the, the magnetism of the Earth to make hoverboard technology work. I don't know if the technology is there yet, but I think we're probably not too far away. The question is, how do you create that magnetic or reverse magnetic field to be able to elevate weight like a body? You probably need an insanely powerful magnet. Yeah. Like a ridiculously powerful magnet. And I feel like the size of a magnet usually is like directly proportional to the, to the size, right? The power and size. Yeah. yeah. You might need like a the magnet the size of the Empire State Building <laughs> to a hoverboarded. Who knows? But who knows? Who knows? Anything's possible. We'll see. Um, if they can figure it out, you put another one, put another check mark on Elon Musk's name. Can uh, retrieve rockets, shoots Tesla's into space, hoverboard. What else do you need? You know, crazy. James, thank you so much, man. What a what a freaking conversation. Now we're forty five. I think we did about the same on your channel. Feel like we can go for another. 10 hours if we really wanted to. Uh, please make sure you check out uh, his channel, Invest Answers on YouTube. Producer Wife, if you can throw it up one more time for us, that would be awesome. Hit the like button if you're enjoying the stream. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, James, any last words? Any uh, any um, farewell no. words before we thank shut you. the sucker down? Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for uh, allowing us to play with some numbers. Um, I know they're near and dear to your heart, and me too. And it'll be fun to do this yes. again with some other big brains. <laughs> Maybe yes. bring Warren onto your channel or Gary Black and uh, play with some numbers with those guys. Uh, we yeah. can, I, you know, I can I can tweak up a model that you can share with them so they can be prepared and plug in their numbers. But I, sure. I just think the big takeaway I think for the audience is this is you know between this and Bitcoin they're the two 
asymmetric bets of our lives. And I know you have a little bit of Bitcoin yourself uh, for us. And, and, or you're all in on Tesla. But uh, <laughs> just, just remember, um, it, it is an exciting time to be alive. Just be in the right places at the right time. And don't listen to what those analysts say on CNBC because <laughs> they're so <laughs> lost. I think that's a good message here. <laughs> Thanks, man. Really appreciate you. Uh, again, uh, all this conversation was just uh, just two guys sitting down. Uh, make sure you do your own diligence. If you're ever going to invest uh, your own money, please don't listen to us. Just use it as a, as a data point. But definitely yeah, don't take our advice to your own diligence. Really appreciate you guys coming on. All right. We're going to play. We're going to try something new today for the first time, James. We have an outro video. So we're going to play the Ooh. outro video. And then you and I will be in backstage once we go offline. So we'll see how this goes. Thank you, everybody, so much. Thank you, James. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Mods, for the excellent work you always do. Do. Uh, thank you everybody watching all the new viewers and existing viewers that we've had uh, community members and last but not least producer wife thank you so much as always baby love you great job uh, and we'll see you in the next one take it easy everybody bye bye <laughs>